Well, in 2023, our culture has lost the mental furniture for Christianity. Uh, what do I mean? For the last 500 years or so, uh, most of Europe and Americans who originated from Europe were culturally Christian. They understood concepts like grace and sin and forgiveness. They knew about the Ten Commandments and they knew about Jesus on the cross. Today, people are being born into a post-Christian world. A post-Christian world. Ryan Burgess, if you don't know who this is, or is it Burgess or Burgess, whatever. Yeah, he recently, he, clearly he demonstrates in some of his research that there's more people in the United States who are growing up with no faith background whatsoever. No background whatsoever. And so you and I can no longer assume that people understand us when we talk about things like Jesus or sin or grace or Jesus' sacrifice for sin on the cross. Just think about it for a minute. Think about all the things you believe as a Christian that might sound weird to somebody on the outside. Think about it. What do you mean? Like, say so you're talking to someone about God and they're like, and they go, well, what do you mean when I die, my soul can go to be with God in heaven? I didn't even know I had a soul, first of all. I didn't know I had a soul. And who says I want to go to heaven? And who's in heaven? Jesus is in heaven? Why is he there? And why does this even matter? I don't even know if I believe what you believe about the whole idea of Jesus. Isn't that a really old text? My point is, is that we are in very different places. We have different kinds. We're waking up into a different kind of world. It's a post-Christian context. And people don't have the mental furniture of Christianity. It's not already embedded in them. In Acts chapter 17, we see a story that stars Paul, the apostle. And Paul was a Jewish man, and the start of that story is him visiting Athens, which is in Greece. He's not from Athens, he's from Judea, he's from first century Palestine. And we quickly discover that when Paul lands, when the private jet lands in Athens, we realize that the Athenians have no concept for Jesus whatsoever. And basically the story begins with him walking around the city and he's looking around and he's thinking to himself, this seems wild here. I, this culture isn't really working for them and it's not working for me. This place isn't going in the right direction. And the text says that he became distressed in what he was seeing because he was seeing the pain and the failure of the Athenian culture on a spiritual level. So how do you think Paul responded? How do you think Paul responded in this moment? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't start yelling at people. He didn't get up to preach in Hebrew, in Aramaic. He didn't make signs that were talking about his oppression. And he didn't organize a march on the Athenian capital complaining about the Roman occupiers who were in, who were in Athens at the time. He didn't shame people in his point of view. And he didn't emotionally blackmail people in this moment. Instead, what we see is he did something very interesting. He hung out. He talked to locals. He learned. He asked questions. Basically, he took the Anthony Bourdain approach to visiting a new city. He came in, ate some of the local food. He's like, where's the best hummus? And he goes and he eats the hummus. 
And then he, expl- you know, he explored it. He got to know it. You ever watch an ev- episode of Anthony Bourdain? Rest in peace. Uh, you ever watch an episode of one, any one of his shows and he, like, where he says, no reservations and I'm hungry for more? He would sit down, so tell me, what are the challenges of Pittsburgh? And they're like eating sausages. So that's what he did. So eventually, from the way he did that, the Athenians started to build trust with him. And his reputation grew so much that the Athenians asked him to come to one of their public venues, an outdoor, large outdoor seating venue. I want you to, I want you to imagine, you know, SoFi Stadium? You know where the Rams play? Rams are a sports team. Do you guys know where the SoFi Stadium is? Okay, well, right next to it is the YouTube Theater. Like, I want you to imagine that size. Okay, does anyone know what the YouTube Theater is? Okay. <laughs> It's next to the SoFi Stadium, which is a stadium for football and other things. Uh, but anyway, the, you, it's a little bit smaller. And so in the same way, this little venue, this little venue was like right out. Here, I got a better example. Okay, not the YouTube save. I want you to imagine the Hollywood Bowl, or better yet, the Greek theater. <laughs> yeah, there we go, right? Because the Greek theater, because they're in Athens. Okay, so they invite him to get up in front of a group of people, and they invite him to share about his faith. It is then revealed that Paul is a deeply thoughtful man. In Acts 17, verse 22, here's what we read. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, YouTube theater, and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Pause here. Now, he goes on to share his life with Jesus with them. To summarize, because we don't have time, this is what he did. He used common humanity language. He used cultural points of reference that the Athenians would and could understand. He talked about how they were all human, and they had desired many of the same things in life. At one point, he even quoted one of their own poets. He didn't quote things from the Hebrew scriptures. He quoted one of their own poets, somebody that they knew, somebody that they understood. And guess what? Guess what happens? The story tells us that many Athenians in that moment came into new life with Jesus. They experienced the power of God, the power of God's Holy Spirit, and Jesus coming into their life, and their eyes were opened to a new reality based on Paul and the way he went about sharing his life with Jesus. So how did Paul do this? Well, we kind of got a hint at these verses up here. We see that Paul walked around. He observed. It said, the text says that he looked carefully. He interpreted the culture. He took time to understand their culture and their values to show the Athenian people that Jesus was connected to their culture. To put it differently, Paul studied the culture in order to interpret the culture so that he might connect with the culture so that he would be able to effectively communicate to the culture. Now this may be, I just want to make sure we get this, Paul is a Jewish man from the Middle East. He used to be a former Pharisee. He could have stood up, and in this moment, he could have easily 
talk to the Athenians about the long history of the coming Jewish Messiah. He could have talked about how the ancient Israelite prophets foretold of the coming of Jesus. He could have proclaimed how this promise had been renewed again and again with people like Abraham and Moses and even King David. He could have shown the people in Athens how Palm Sunday and Easter directly lined up with the Jewish holiday known as Passover. He could have done all that, but he didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? If you had to guess why he didn't do that, why didn't he do that? He didn't do that because if he had done that, the people wouldn't have listened to him because that doesn't make any sense to them. They did not have the mental furniture for ancient Judaism, okay? Instead, what does he do? He appealed to them. He found common ground with them. And I, I, There's three big things I want to say here. Look, for, look at the verses we just read. It says, look at the, if you could go back to that verse, it would be great because I want the... Um, it says, look in the beginning, it says, people of Athens, that's a good start, uh, I see that in every way you are very religious. Pause there for a minute. Basically, he's saying, hey, I see, people of Athens, I see that you're very passionate about spiritual things. I see that you're trying to do the right thing. I see that you're trying to follow a good path. I see that you're doing what you can to connect with the spiritual realm and tap into the true meaning of life. I, too, am on that journey. You see that? He's looking, he's, he's, instead of criticizing their spirituality, their religiousness, he plays to it. Second thing he references, he says, he, it says he, I was walking around and I looked carefully and I discovered you have an altar to an unknown God. And then it says, hey, I actually know this God. And basically here, it's likely that he's complimenting them. He's showing them that he's taken time to learn and understand their culture. He's saying, I was, listen, I'm, I was in your, I, you know, we flew in last night. I've been walking around the city. I've been trying to understand your culture, your values, your gods. I've been loving my time here in Athens. The Euros outside the Acropolis, amazing. Uh, we should go after this if you don't stone me to death. Um, and I, you know, and so I'm walking around, I'm hanging out, doing the Anthony Bourdain thing, and, and I'm hanging out, and actually I stumble across an altar that you have called the Unknown God, and I got so excited. I got so excited because I actually know this God. Would you like to hear about him? So he's appealing to them. The third thing that's really interesting is that Paul says, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Now, you have to hear me here. This is very interesting. This is not Paul getting up and saying, people of Athens, you're ignorant. That's not what's happening here. You have to understand that the ancient Athenian culture would have interpreted a statement like this as an act of intellectual love. You see, the Athenians, these were intellectual, philosophical types. They always desired to be up on the latest and the greatest when it comes to new philosophies and new religions and new ideas. And so when Paul gets up and says, you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship, what he's actually saying is, listen, I know how much you love knowledge. I know that you are learners. You enjoy learning. I, too, am a lifelong learner. I know that being ignorant about this unknown God probably bothers you a little bit. And I would love to fill you in on this blank space, this unknown unknown that you have in your mind, this unknown unknown about this God that you have not met yet is this God I'm going to explain to you. He appeals to their desire 
for knowledge. You know, many of the things that we do, many of the ways that we speak, many of the ways we express ourselves, whether we realize it or not, contains embedded culture. If you don't believe me, just ask anybody in this room who was not born a native of the United States. I feel like that's a lot of pressure given the size of, okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you, so if you, we'll talk, Rakshit is here. So if you ask Rakshit, if you ask him to be honest, he'll be honest, by the way, if, you're, if you ask him to be honest. Uh, <laughs> if you ask him to lie, he'll lie. Uh, he's a good friend. Uh, if he will be able to point out embedded cultural values that you have that you might not be able to see in yourself. Because culture, embedded culture, we can be blind to our own embedded cultural worldview. And that's okay, that's just the way we see the world. But with someone like Rashid in our midst, he could actually point that out to us. Many parts of our embedded cultural worldview, they're neither good nor bad. They just are what they are. However, some of the things in our embedded cultural worldview may not be important attachments to the gospel message of Jesus. You understand what I mean? Here's what I mean. Sometimes when we realize it, without talking about God, we talk about him in a way that makes sense to us. And sometimes we forget that the way someone else understands the world may not be the same way that we understand the world. And consequently, if two people are talking and they're starting from two different types of worldviews, the way a Christian may talk about God may not be a way uh, that a person who's listening can understand. You follow? And so sometimes when we speak about Jesus... We may unknowingly or unwittingly or automatically embed our own culture in our own worldview to make it seem like God is either for or against certain things. Do you understand where I'm headed with this? Your cultural, uh, your, your political perspectives, um, if you are a Democrat or a Republican, conservative or progressive viewpoints, even as an American, some of your views on capitalism, like God only helps those who help themselves. Or when people who are a little bit more progressive in our culture talk about socialism, we say, why can't we have health care like European countries? And you begin to apply some of the things that you believe about the world onto the gospel message. Or even um, individualism. Uh, God wants us to be happy. God wants me to be happy. And uh, if I'm happy, then everything I'm doing must be okay. Or even evangelical, the Christian subculture of when we talk about, and we speak in a language called Christianese, and then we wonder why people don't understand what we're saying. And some of these points of view are neither right nor wrong. They're opinions, okay? And the jury is out on what opinions will end up winning our day in our cultural battles. But they are not, oftentimes, the essence of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The point being is that sometimes we are unaware of the opinions we are inserting into the message as we talk about Jesus. And part of what Paul was able to do was this. He was able to understand his own culture as a Jewish man, and then at the same time he was able to figure out what parts of his communication were his own culture and separate it from what was truly the Christian message of Jesus Christ. 
And once he understood this, he was able to change the way that he spoke to people without changing the essence of the gospel. He was able to avoid projecting his own culture onto the Athenian culture and his own opinions onto a different culture so that the Athenians had a better chance of hearing and understanding who Jesus was. It freed him up to express the gospel in new and fresh ways that gave the Athenians a chance to understand the message for the first time. Now, please don't raise your hand. But let me ask you a personal question. Do you ever feel ineffective as you share your life with Jesus? Don't raise your hand. If you feel ineffective when you share your life with Jesus, it could be for any number of reasons. It could be because you don't know how to pray with power. You've never learned to pray with power. You're not seeing miracles in your ministry and in your life. That's okay. We can help you fix that. You may feel ineffective, not because of power issues. You may feel ineffective because you're a jerk and people don't like you. <laughs> That's okay. You can fix that. You may feel ineffective because as you share your life with Jesus, it's coming across that you're really only interested in converting the person. Like, when they look at you and the way you talk about Jesus, it feels like you're trying to close the deal. You're trying to get them to pray to prayer so that they're in the club. And, and, that, and part of that, they're looking at you and they're like, bro, like, I hear what you're saying, or sister, I hear what you're saying, but there's something missing in the way you're doing this. It feels like you're just trying to make yourself feel better by getting me to do something you want. Or it could be something that we're discussing today. Perhaps you feel ineffective at sharing your faith because you failed to account for your own cultural projections on others. And basically, if you want to become more effective in sharing your life with Jesus, one of the things that you and I need to do, we need to become cultural anthropologists. What do anthropologists do? They study and they understand and they interpret the culture that they live in, that they come from. In many ways, it becomes the Know Thyself project. We have to understand the water in which we swim. But also, we have to learn to observe and interpret the culture of those we want to share our life with Jesus with. And we must learn to speak the language of the people. You dig? Saying you dig is kind of like not the language. <laughs> you dig? So here's a few questions I want to throw. Here's a few questions I want to throw by, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, first, uh, when you're sharing your life with Jesus, what language do you use? Now, obviously, the two most predominant languages spoken in Southern California are English and Spanish. Now, there's hundreds of other languages spoken around here, and they're all wonderful languages, but I'm talking about more than just English or Spanish or any of the other of these wonderful languages that are spoken. Language also includes different types of phrases and different types of register. Uh, so in some Los Angeles subcultures, language is a casual register. It's used for survival. In other Los Angeles subcultures, 
Language is, is more used formally, and it's primarily used as negotiation. It's more of a negotiate, you negotiate life. And then in other subcultures, it is definitely a formal register and it's primarily used for networking. Language is used for networking. So the key to language is understanding the people that you're trying to reach and then understanding how to use a language that will connect with that particular subculture. Uh, you dig? Good. <laughs> Second, when you're sharing your life with Jesus, what type of illustrations do you use? What sort of illustrations do you use when you're talking about God? Do you use sports illustrations? Do you use entertainment illustrations? Um, I've tried to use sports illustrations here, and I've decided never to do it again because it never works. <laughs> People are like, "This is." I mean, I mean, we have so many sports teams, yet this particular crowd's like, "What is a football?" So I gave up. But if I use an entertainment, I'll say, did you hear that card? Dashan's got a new place. Uh, no, I've never said that. Um, there's a, and I, listen, how many, I have another question. How many Navy SEALs illustrations do you use? Uh, why do I say that? I've read at least two Navy SEALs books in the last year. You would never know that because, uh, can we shut that outside door, please? Can anyone else hear that, that squeaking? Okay, thanks, buddy. Uh, these, uh, I, these, I've read two Navy SEALs books. I would never use a Navy SEALs. Can you imagine your faces if I was using a Navy SEALs illustration? Well, it's really, you know, the gospel's a lot like cover and move. <laughs> It'd be lost on you. This is important. Illustrations of how we talk about God are important because as soon as you move towards some people, what it means is, is you're moving away from other people. So one of the things to consider is when you're talking about God, you have to take into consideration the, who you're connecting with. Third, when you share your life with Jesus, what type of humor do you use? There's an old saying that wisdom is expensive, but experience is costly. Trust me, I have a lot of experience in this area. I've made a lot of bad jokes over the years. Since some subcultures, the predominant form of humor centers around people and sex. Uh, still, for other cultures, humor focuses on situations, like that show Seinfeld, or the other one, Amigos, I think, it, or Friends, what's it called? Anyway, it's a terrible show. Uh, and still others, uh, humor focuses somewhat on social faux pas. So I would say that this crowd has generally been somewhere between situations and social faux pas. So if I can tell a joke, like this is what happened to me last week, where I do something super embarrassing, you generally laugh at that. So understanding what humor is and, the, and, what it, and how it plays into the people you're trying to reach matters as you're trying to share your faith with Jesus. Fourth, uh, when you're sharing your life with Jesus, how much self-disclosure do you use? What's your level of self-disclosure? How forthcoming are you about feelings, your feelings, uh, when you're talking about God. Fifth, when you're sharing your life with Jesus, another thing to consider is attention span. How long do you go on when you're talking to people? So, Los Angeles and New York are different. Because in New York, they want you to say everything faster and have it done yesterday. And I really appreciate that. One of the hardest, I'm not from New York, I'm from the Midwest, but even in the Midwest, there's, there's love in brevity. <laughs> when we moved here, 
one of the bigger adjustments is not with you good folks, but with many people in the area. It, the amount of time it would take to, I'm gonna sweat. The amount of time it would take to explain something that maybe didn't go anywhere was immense. And it's not everyone, but there's this casual, long-windedness that is a part of some of our conversations here. And it happens in other parts of the country. I can see the people who are not from here are like, yes, the people who are from here are like, you better not be talking about me. The point is, it's like, how long do you go on? Like, I've been in conversations with other Southern California pastors, and they'll go 15 to 20 minutes nonstop without taking a breath over lunch. And you're like, dude, I'm never going to get over. So you have to think about, like, where do you leave the pauses? Where do you leave, where do you create moments for you to have conversation? One of the worst things you can do is when someone's finally opening up to you about asking questions about your life with Jesus is if you go on a full tirade, like you do the whole thing, you try to present what you're sharing about Jesus in such a way, makes it feel like you're reading something from a book. How you share your life with Jesus and the attention span of others really does matter. Uh, six, emotional expressiveness. Now this one is very subjective. On the one hand, I can't be anything but myself. On the other hand, if I want to connect with people, if you want to connect with people, you have to understand or recognize that some of the ways you express yourself are not the gospel. Some of the ways that you express yourself are cultural. Okay? Which means the way you do things is not the only way to do things. And your way is not the right way. And what I'm saying here is that you have to figure out the best way to express your emotions so that what you're saying to people about God actually lands. It actually connects. It's intelligible to the people that you're trying to reach. So we're about 2,000 and some years and change later from this story of Paul in Athens. If you were to go and walk around Athens today, what are you going to see? You're going to see hundreds, if not thousands, of churches. Most of which are Greek Orthodox churches. <laughs> and from everything that we understand, those thousands of churches that are in operation, all those people that are, have life with Jesus, you can trace all of that back to Paul showing up getting up and playing the Anthony Bourdain game, going over to the YouTube theater and being like, I can see that you're religious. I love your culture. I want to help inform you on something that you want to know about. Paul's desire to contextualize the gospel of Jesus to this Athenian world was a really hard thing to do. But 2,000 years later, the fruit is everywhere. It all started from this one guy just trying to help people who are Greek people understand Jesus just a little bit better. Well, when I think about that, 
I just sit back and I go, wow, like you and I, we literally have no idea what God might want to do. If we chose to share our life with Jesus in ways that make sense. Like, do you really think Paul knew that he would have that kind of impact by just getting up and being like, hey, you're religious, so am I. Do you really think he, I don't think he knew. I think God doesn't always show us our, what our impact is going to be because then we would get involved too much, right? But we have no idea how God might want to use us if we're just simply willing and able to do our best to understand the culture we're trying to communicate to. We have no idea. It might just help transform a neighborhood. It might just transform a city. So may you, as you go from this place, be empowered by the resurrected Jesus to share him in ways that truly make sense to every person in your life. Amen? Why don't we all stand? I want to apologize in advance for my Southern California comments. <laughs> I do love you. That's why I'm here. But if you have a problem with it, let's talk afterwards, but be brief. <laughs> um, see what I did there? I apologized and then took it back. Anyway, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to worship one more time together. And as we're uh, worshiping, uh, I, I just... I believe that God wants to empower us uh, for life. So we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing here is we believe God wants to talk to us. And so we, and we'll see what he wants to do. So I'm going to invite him and then maybe there'll be a couple calls and then we'll worship together. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, and by the power of Jesus, we invite you to be with us. So come, Holy Spirit.